Life Audio. Welcome to the Homeschooling Families Podcast. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. There's a lot of conversation happening right now about education in general. As believers, we should always see our educational choices for our children in light of the mission that God has given us. That's part of the heart school paradigm that I talk about all the time. Well, on today's podcast, we're going to look a little deeper into the goal of education and why a Christian approach to education is so important as you're raising your children. I'm joined today by Israel Wayne, who's a longtime friend and a favorite speaker at Teach Them Diligently events. In addition to speaking at conferences and churches, Israel is also the author of many books, including Pitch in the Fit to Overcoming Angry and Stressed Out Parenting, Education, Does God Have an Opinion?, Answers for Homeschooling, and Raising Them Up, Parenting for Christians. He's the founder of FamilyRenewal.org, and he brings an incredible perspective to the conversation as both a homeschooled graduate and the homeschooling father of 11 children. I promise today's conversation is one that you will not want to miss. So stay tuned. Israel, welcome back to the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you, Leslie. It is always good to have you joining us. We were talking before about some things that you've got going on there, actually making, making I guess, your content a little bit more accessible, a little bit more searchable and stuff. Before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about the project that you're working on? And then I, because I know that as we start wetting their appetite and we're talking, they're going to want to know where to find more. So let's go on and tell them. Well, I have a few things. Just very briefly, we're in the process of revamping our familyrenewal.org website. We're going to have a relaunch of that hopefully in the next few months. We also just launched the IsraelWayne.com website, which is where people can go to learn more about my speaking ministry. So if they're interested in having me come speak at their church or event or family camp or wherever, they can go to IsraelWayne.com. So keep keep watching for new content at familyrenewal.org and a brand new website at israelwayne.com. Uh, a couple of other quick things that I'm doing that are exciting. I'm going to be spending almost the entire month of August of uh, 2023 in South America. Oh, wow. So I'll be speaking in, in Paraguay and Peru and Colombia and going to be teaching on biblical worldview and Christian education down there and, of course, promoting homeschooling. So I'm excited about that. And then also just got a contract today for a catechism, which I've already written for families that is a uh, contemporary English modern day catechism uh, that's based on the historic catechism, just asking the basic questions of the Christian faith. Uh, but that will be published, Lord willing, by Masterbooks uh, later in 2023. Oh, awesome. So they're looking at a fall release for that because it's already written. So right. uh, new things coming out from me and from Family Renewal. So lots to be excited about here. That is that is awesome. And I'm so grateful that God has equipped you and given you the burden to strengthen families the way that you do and to encourage and actually educate. You do so much education And having been homeschooled yourself and then really a pioneer homeschooler and then homeschooling for, what, 20 some odd years now, because I know you graduated at least your oldest, you've had a lot of time to really investigate education and think about it. And God has called you to talk about it a lot. Well, I guess for a, a lot of people, I think, struggle with the idea of separating, you know, you have your education 
and you have your discipleship and you, you know, you have all of these little roads that you walk down. But from a Christian standpoint, what really should be the ultimate goal of education and how did those all fit together? I think the ultimate goal of education is the same as the ultimate goal of life, because education is just a subsection of that broader question of why do we exist? What is our purpose for existence? And there's a lot of different ways that we can answer that question. Again, mentioning catechisms, Westminster Shorter Catechism answers that question by saying that the the chief end of man or the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Jesus said in John 17, 3, that uh, eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. In Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon says, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Micah 6, 8 says, he has shown you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy, walk humbly with your God. There's so many other passages. Uh, you know, I think it's Luke 10, 27, where Jesus affirms the statement that we're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself. So many of those different verses that we could point to that give us our purpose for life, the reason that we're on this planet. And so our family mission statement, that's kind of a compilation of a lot of those things, is that we exist to know, love, and serve God and love and serve other people. And I believe ultimately that's the purpose of an education is for us to know God, to come to know him not only through the scripture, but through the things that he's made, like Romans 1 talks about, through his creation, through the created order, through the laws of the universe, to come to know his personality and his character and his attributes through his creation, to know God and then to be equipped and prepared to love and serve him. But we predominantly love and serve God by loving and serving other people. Right. And so um, instead of looking at our occupation as a way to to know, love, and serve ourselves or our purpose in life, which is what I think a lot of even Christians do, you know, they work a job to make money, to make themselves comfortable and affluent. We should look at the work that we do as a way to bless and serve other people for the glory of God and for the cause of Christ. And so I, I know that sounds very spiritual ease. But I think ultimately, if we don't have that as our true north, Mm -hmm. we don't have that as our target, then we become functional humanists. We're confessing Christians and functional humanists. Right. Well, and I also think that that if you don't have that as your true north, as a believer, there's always going to be this friction. Everything in your life is going to be fighting against everything else for priority, for what is the main thing. Whereas... Once we actually align our educational choices, the way that we're, you know, all of these things under that main goal, that main call that that God has given us to do, there's a peace and a confidence that comes because now we are just serving one thing. We are focused on one thing and all of these are supports. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I think, too, I want to be clear that I'm not advocating that we teach only spiritual concepts to the Mm -hmm. exclusion of good academics. Some people accuse homeschoolers, Christian homeschoolers of doing that. This couldn't be further from the truth. Right. Um, If if your son or daughter is an airplane pilot or a surgeon, we want them to have paid attention during their academic studies because you are not a blessing to your neighbor if you sew that back together after an operation and you have leftover parts and you don't know where they go uh, or or, you know, you have 300 people in an airplane all screaming as they careen to the ground because 
you didn't think it was that important to pay attention during aerodynamics uh, class, you know, as, as an aviator. So we want our students to do well academically, but again, for a purpose, uh, right. for an end, rather than simply as a means for their own self-glorification and gratification. Oh, absolutely. The way that David and I always looked at it is we didn't want to do anything that would shut a door for our kids, you know, in in their pursuing of God's will and God's best for them in the days ahead. So we were very driven on the academic side because that is part of our role in making sure that whatever God calls them to do, we are preparing them for so that then they can they can put that into play. But we're also at the same time discipling and showing them that this is a tool for you. When God opens doors, you're able to take this skill, this knowledge that you've gotten and put it right back into service of God and others. And so it, again, is just a holistic view of how we're approaching education and discipleship and parenting, and it's all one. Absolutely. And it pleases God and glorifies him when we do things with excellence. We're told that whatever our hand finds to do, we should do it with all of our might. And so we should put effort as as homeschool students, we want our students to put effort into their studies and to work diligently because those things reflect what God is like. God does things with excellence and we want to do things with excellence as well. But again, for what purpose? For our own self-exaltation, for the love and service of God through the love and service of others. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking as we were talking a couple of minutes ago, when David and I first entered the homeschool arena, what, 11, 12 years ago, we learned a lot. We were exposed to a lot of stuff that we had never seen or heard before because neither of us grew up in this world. And one of the things that we found over and over, and I wanted to bring this up because I think it's really important, is we ran into a lot of people who were reacting negatively to their own homeschool experience or even a Christian school experience, a church experience, whatever. There was this massive reaction against you know, they were using legalism and all of these these buzzwords were were just really, really prevalent. And they still are. To them, I saw this huge swing where they really wanted to separate religion from academics and such because it got distorted in their minds, in their families. How do you respond to that? You know, especially now we're seeing stuff come out on a lot of different movements and they're, you know, People are are clinging to stuff and and old sores, I guess, are being reopened with some people. And and I don't want to see people separate the two. I don't want to to allow without you know raising my hand and saying no 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 no. Even if even if there was some imperfect application of this, the way that we kind of marry these together is so important for your kids long term. How do you address that? After a short break, we'll be right back to talk even more about this. Well, I think there's always been a tension between equating Christianity with Christians. And (laughs) so that's the difficulty, right? Because people are imperfect. And anytime people are in the equation, there will be abuses of the thing. And yet abuses never annul a truth. And so simply because there's a misrepresentation of an original, it doesn't mean that there's not an original. And so I think that what we have to do is to ask ourselves, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible prescribe? And what is God like? 
that really needs to be our pursuit as opposed to how have some Christians over time applied these ideas. And so for us as uh, believers, we want to be able to represent Christ well. Right. Um, I often say, you know, to parents who have had abusive situations that they grew up in, whether it was family abuse or church abuse or something like that. I think the solution to that is not to reject the concept of parenthood. It's not to reject the concept of Christianity. It's not to reject the church. It's to reject abuse and to say, we don't have to do that. You know, let's do better in the next generation. And so on the academic side, again, we can either look at education as an end in and of itself, or we can see it properly as a means to an end. And of course, then we have to define what end is that, which we, we just tried to do. But if the goal of education ultimately, like the primary goal of education is to know God, how can you possibly separate academics from God? If that's the purpose of why you're studying the academics is to know him better. And so I am always looking for curriculum that helps my student, my child, to be able to understand who God is and what he's like in a proper way. Yeah. Not a caricature, not a misrepresentation, uh, not a false version, but the true version of God. And so from my viewpoint, I want to have a curriculum that constantly points my children back to the God who made math, the God who made science, the God who is in control of all of history because I want them to realize that this life is more than just time and matter and space, that we ultimately are spiritual beings who live for all eternity, and that what we do here matters for eternity, not merely here. We're not just a, a lump of biological cells that decay and die when, when we do, that we have eternal souls that live on forever. And to separate God out of the academics, you know, in what way are we different than than the pagans? And so if, right. if we name the name of Christ and if we call ourselves believers, then to say that God is irrelevant to our academic studies is, I believe, very insulting yeah. to the God who made all of these academic studies. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, that gets back to you are a a whole being, your family, you have one call. And so lining everything up, this really becomes a lot more clear. So kind of as a follow-up, and I, you alluded to this a little bit, but I want you to work it out a little bit more for us because choosing curriculum is a really big deal. And it's it's almost overwhelming for some people. And there's so much now. I mean, there you can have any any kind of curriculum any day of the week. There's gazillions of options. But what is the difference between you know, just a, a Christian curriculum, one that seems safe and a Christian or a curriculum that has a biblical worldview and is really leaning into that. Where are you going to find? Because I would imagine those are some pretty subtle differences. And then I guess tacking on to that, and you've already kind of addressed this as well. What would you say to believers who choose to use a secular curriculum? Because I'm I'm assuming they want to make sure that their kids have, you know, exposure to a lot of different ideas and such. Well, I think the first foundational premise I'd like to lay for us to consider is that all truth belongs to God. That if something is true in the universe, it is true because it comes from the mind of the creator who is in himself truth. 
Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. He didn't just say, I tell the truth or I like the truth. He said, I am the truth. Truth is an inseparable part of who God is. So when we see any truth that exists in the universe, that truth exists because it came from the God who is truth. So when when we say two plus two equals four, or when we say that there is a law of gravity or motion, or when we say that these three notes in the musical scale make up a chord, you know, any kind of truth that we posit, we have a source for that truth. We have a reference point for that truth. Atheism doesn't give us that. What atheism purports is that everything that exists in the material and immaterial world came about from a cosmic Big Bang 14 billion years ago, that matter and, and energy either always existed which is a scientific impossibility according to the first law of thermodynamics, or that it came to be from nothing, which is also a scientific impossibility. Uh, They have quite a conundrum there with uh, (laughs) with their origin thesis. But, But basically, you never get a concept like truth out of dust and gases that blew up for no reason. That's a moral category. And so when we're teaching our children to say, well, we just want to use a secular curriculum because it, it teaches math in the same way. Our child will learn that two plus two equals four, whether we use a Christian math program or a non-Christian math program. That is true. But I think for me, one of the scariest things that I can conceive of as a homeschool parent is that my child may grow up knowing that two plus two equals four, but have no idea why. Right. And that's, I think, where the biblical worldview comes in, because atheism has no moral foundation or ability to account for order and precision in the universe because you can never get an orderly system out of an explosion. And as a homeschooled student, I know this because as a child, I I used those science at home kits when I was a kid. I loved those. Uh, And I used to blow up a lot of really cool things in my backyard. (laughs) But of all of the things that I blew up in my backyard, none of them ever became more ordered. Right. Uh, They became less orderly. And so evolution does not give us a rationale for things like logic, music theory, mathematics, uh, all of these systems that we see that work within our universe. Again, aerodynamics and architecture and all of the geometry, all of that. The only reason that that works is it comes from the mind of an infinite creator. So, yes, your students may be able to get some of the right answers on the test of the universe, if you will, that this is how the universe works. But if they if they get those right answers, but they don't have the source, they don't know oh, how to account for that. I think you've done them a tremendous disservice. And that's where a true biblical worldview curriculum is essential and vital because it it ties it back to why do we have these kinds of predictable systems in our universe? Mm-hmm. Because we don't come from a chance chaos universe. We we are created by an infinite personal orderly logical god. Yes, exactly. And and as parents as parents on mission especially, we are able to to key on those concepts too. We're able to take that God created this orderly system and use that to teach them more about God, help them 
see him as as exalted and as wise and as good as he is because he has given us all of these things. And you miss out on those opportunities if you are not engaging in you know those conversations as they come along. So if you're just focusing on the academia of the, the math problems, the two plus two equals four, like you were noting, you miss those opportunities to truly engage in those heart faith building conversations that are often in passing. You know, it's not like you're sitting everyone down, gather at my feet, children. We are going to have a, a lesson of the God of the universe. Rather, it's, it's conversational. It's natural. It's, it's so easy, really, because it just fits. It fits beautifully into your conversation when you're actually a homeschool family on mission. Yeah. The apostle Paul really rebukes the pagans for rejecting God in academics because he says that in their hearts, they know that there's a God, but rather than acknowledge God and give credit to God, they try to pretend that the creation made itself and they worship the creation rather than the creator. And he talks about how the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen through the things that he has made. His his eternal power, his divine nature is clearly seen through what has been made. So man is without excuse. Man knows there's a God, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. They push that away from themselves. They don't want to acknowledge that there is a higher power to whom they are all accountable, a supreme ruler of the universe that they have to bow the knee to. They don't like that idea. So they just try to speak of the world in materialistic terms without acknowledging the source of it. And all of Romans 1 really is a, a rebuke of that idea and, and even outlies what happens to a culture who does that. Right. And he says how they go into wickedness and to hedonism and to nihilism and embracing all kinds of sensuality and sin because they've separated themselves from the source. And so as believers, we don't want to be like the pagans who, you know, we know there's a God, but we don't acknowledge him as God. And, and he says also, and neither were they thankful or grateful. And so we want to have a gratitude as we study these subjects. And, and there should be moments in every class where we just step back and worship and say, wow, what an amazing God who created this system, who created this order that created this caterpillar or this you know, our human DNA or whatever, or astronomy, right? He made the stars also like the greatest understatement in the history of academics. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> we just go, wow, this is so beyond comprehension. It's just so mind blowing. And if our academics are not constantly leading us into worship, I think we're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And we're able to meet our kids right where they are. And that's one of the... One of the things that not only strengthens our relationship because we're learning and growing and having these conversations together all the way up, but it also is is giving us opportunities because God is so wise. He set up families to function this way where we can disciple right where they are, right with things that are relevant to them. Everything can point to the creator and to the God who loves them and sent his son to die for them. And we're able to just kind of work that in, meeting them right there, making it relevant and giving them a solid foundation for their own faith. And it is such, such a blessing to be able to do that. I wanted to to actually transition a little off of the black and white there 
to something that I think is black and white, but a lot of people are making a little grayscale. And that is, Mm -hmm. there are some curriculums. There's one actually really big specific curriculum out there that promotes good moral values, but uh, comes from a worldview that is very opposite of what Christians would espouse. What do you, what do you say to the Christians who, that most of them are are very willingly walking into it. They know the origin. They know all of that. But because it's just moral, it's it's benign. It's it's great. It doesn't really hurt anything. How would you address that? I remember back in the 90s uh, talking to a Christian organization that had a character curriculum, and they were so excited because they were able to get the character curriculum into the public schools. And I asked them, how are you able to get a Christian character curriculum into the public schools? And they said, oh, it was easy. We just had to take out any reference to God, Jesus, or the Bible. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so if you remove God, Jesus, and the Bible, what then is the source for virtue? Hmm. What is the source for character? What is the source for good? You actually can't have moral categories of good, of a virtue, of something being, you know, aesthetically beautiful if you remove the source that defines all of those things. You know, it's basically like, you know, you're you're taking a chainsaw out and just, you know, cutting your tree down because you've separated the fruit from the roots, if you will. You only have the fruit because of the roots. Even when you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that's just telling us what the Holy Spirit is like. That's who God is. God is all of those things. And when you're connected to him, then you bear that kind of fruit. I mean, that's what Jesus talked about in John 15. If you abide in me, if you're connected to me, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. You you don't bear that kind of fruit off by yourself. So when you're trying to teach children to be good and to do good, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a, it's a work of futility. It's humanism. It is basically man trying to be good in his own strength, in his own effort. And God in the scripture actually views that as filthy rags. He doesn't see that as good. He sees that as reprehensible, someone who's trying to make themselves good in their own strength and their own willpower apart from God, God does not credit that to them as righteousness. Right. He does not. He He credits our faith in Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man who was the only living human who was ever able to please God and to be a, a appropriate sacrifice for us. He's the only person that God was willing to accept a sacrifice from that could pay for all sin. You and I couldn't do it. No one in all human history could. Why? Because we're fallen. We, we are not God in the flesh as Jesus was. So the problem with some of these other curriculum programs is that they don't acknowledge Jesus as being co-eternal with the Father and eternally divine. They believe that God, that Jesus is a God, like you and I can become God's. You know, they believe that Jesus was the first created being. They don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Right. And yet, so they've, they've disconnected their information from the source. And so in the same way, you know, can they teach 
a a truth that is is randomly true in the universe, like oh, two plus two equals four, or you know, this flower is this color. Well, yes, they can teach random truths, but they can't accurately trace it back to the source of the truth because they're disconnected from the source of the truth. Uh, if you don't have the real Jesus, then you don't have the real gospel. And let me just say this: I think that sometimes the problem with certain Bible teachers, or sometimes the problem with certain curriculum programs or or certain organizations is not so much what they say, because we might agree with a lot of the things that they say. The problem is with what they don't say and what they can't say. Right. And what they can't give our children is the gospel because they don't believe the gospel. Right. And primary to everything that I do in my home with my children is I want the Lord Jesus Christ, the true historical Jesus as represented in the 66 books of the Bible. I want the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe to be exalted in absolutely everything. And my child to see that their greatest need is not to be good, but to bow the knee to Christ. And uh, I think it was the evangelist Leonard Ravenhill who said that Jesus didn't die to make bad people good he died to make dead people live. Wow. And that's my goal for my children is for them to truly find spiritual life and, sp- and eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ, not for them simply to learn how to be good and behave well and have good manners. Yeah. And so while those things look good on the, the surface and while they have a shiny veneer, ultimately moralism separated from Christ is offensive to God. It's not because it denies our depravity and the only solution to that depravity, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that homeschooling has been so beneficial for in in our family, but we've seen it over and over and over again, is it's a truly sanctifying, growing time for parents we are able to exercise discernment. We are able to to even be exposed to new truths like we had missed before, we hadn't seen, and then go compare it with the Bible and teach that to our children. We're able to grow right along with them. And it is so important that as parents, we are doing that because you can't, you can't teach a child, you can't direct them and make sure that you're shepherding their hearts the right way if as a parent, you're not growing. Your worldview isn't solid. And you, you know, you know what God's word says about everything. How would you encourage parents in in their own walk so that they're able to effectively shepherd the hearts of their children? Well, I have a couple of resources I like to mention real quick. One is uh, my book, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? So for parents who are trying to figure out how do I teach a biblical worldview through homeschooling, This goes through every academic subject, and it teaches what those subjects tell us about the nature and character of God. So what does math teach us about God's nature? What does science or language arts teach us about God's nature and character or art and music, et cetera? So it's unique. I don't know of any other book that's out there quite like it. I would highly recommend that. And then I would say also uh, my latest resource, which is Foundations in Faith, which is a Bible doctrine and theology curriculum. This is geared mostly for high schoolers, but what I'm finding is that parents are using it for themselves because they're saying, you know, I'm a first-generation Christian and I was never really grounded in this, or 
I've been to church my whole life and I still don't really understand Bible doctrine. And, and it's not sectarian. You know, we teach the core essential doctrines that everyone has always believed for 2000 years. So, you know, the divinity of Jesus Christ, the historical resurrection, God is the creator, the Bible is the infallible word of God, all of those things that all Christians have always embraced and accepted. On the secondary doctrines, it's more informational. We're not trying to pull people into a particular denominational slant. You're trying to give them a historical view of, you know, here's different views on these issues, but but we're pointing students back to their parents and their local churches. But I think in terms of being able to get us grounded in the truth, we have to know what's true before we get exposed to error. And so as parents, it's important, as you were saying, that they get that in themselves first and that they really become grounded in the essentials of biblical Christianity so that they know how to equip their students for that. And so those two resources in particular, I think, related to this topic are really relevant because there's a lot of flashy marketing out there that looks good. And it looks like, oh, this might be great for my child, but I think it's important for us to be able to to be grounded in the original so we know when we see a counterfeit. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Israel, we are out of time for today, but I am so grateful to you for joining us. It's been really, really helpful. Before you go, would you remind everyone where they can connect with you, where they can find your resources, get more details, and even you know where they can find out where you'll be so they can go hear you, hear you speak a little bit more? Well, they can go to our website, familyrenewal.org. And if they go to forward slash subscribe, they can get on our email list so they'll be notified when we're speaking in their area. And there's a store tab on our website. If you go there, you can buy uh, print versions of my books. And if you order from our family renewal site, I'll sign any of my books that you order personally. If you like ebooks or audiobooks, you can get those at masterbooks.com, who is my publisher. Uh, so if that's a better format for you, check out the publisher's website. And again, you can connect with me on social media wherever you happen to hang out online. Just look for Israel Wayne or Family Renewal, and I would love to connect with you there. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you at one of our events soon so that we can chat a little bit deeper. I know you're always a blessing to everyone. Thank you, Leslie. Appreciate you. You're welcome. To everybody else, thank you so much for joining us today. We remind you every single week that the Great Commission starts at home. Your home is your Jerusalem. This is your ground zero for your mission. And the way that you choose your curriculum, the way that you line up all these different activities that you're doing with the one mission that God has given you is so impactful in giving your children a foundation for their faith, getting them ready to launch out, prepared for whatever God opens for them in the days ahead, and making sure that they're able to discern truth from error and have all of the information and equipping that they need to do that. So I hope that this has been a great encouragement and a help to you. Check out Israel's resources. Get that education, Does God Have an Opinion book. It's going to be really enlightening for just helping you understand how all of these different subjects actually work together to help you disciple and shepherd the hearts of your kids. So have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining me today. It's my prayer that every episode of the Homeschooling Families podcast helps to strengthen your family by giving you biblical and practical ways to raise your children and educate them well. 
We'd love to engage with you more. So check out teachthemdiligently.net to find out about the resources and experiences we offer Christian homeschooling families like yours all year long. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. 